This is Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. Each week, I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. When I use the word gender, I mean the range of social roles, personality traits, attitudes, behaviors, values, and relative power that society assigns to females, males, and other individuals. Gender is an identity that is learned. How we define gender changes over time and can vary within and across cultures. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Episode 22, Being Change Part 2. One of the things that I ask everyone on the show is to say one thing that they would like to see everyday people in the U.S. do to make a change around gender. I sincerely wanted to hear suggestions that anyone, anywhere, could make to support gender in a meaningful way. A continuing theme is the desire for folks to have different or difficult conversations about gender, both with those who are close to us and with people from outside of our own bubbles. We will hear several guests address this throughout the episode. To start us off, we'll hear from Matt, who identifies as a cisgender gay male and uses he, him pronouns. Matt explored the kinds of changes people could make around newly popularized terminology and the way that we talk about gender. Yeah, I think um, I think one of the most important things that we can do around gender is recognize and understand the different terms that are being utilized, but also at the same time, not slam people if they use or don't use a certain term. Um, so, for example, um, you know the uh, it's very popular now to say I'm cis, whatever, um, and you know, that's good for many good reasons. At the same time, I don't think we want to alienate anyone if they're not using those terms. And so I think um, many of these terms are about, it's personal in nature. So asking the question of, uh, like you do in the start of this uh, podcast of how do you identify and what terms would you like me to use? I think that is the perfect approach to take and not judge anyone based off of that because, um, at the end of the day, it's personal. And so I think that's one important aspect um, to ensure that um, while on the one hand we're advancing society, we're not um, starting to divide ourselves even more so. Um, LGBTQ, I, uh, and keep on going, uh, community, or the queer community, um, I think this is why uh, many of the, the younger population is um, shifting to the term queer because um, you know, it, as I, in my foundational years, it was, well, you're either, you're, you're put in buckets still. You're gay, or you're a lesbian, or you're bi, or you're trans. And really, the trans community was always sort of ostracized, even in the gay community. And um, it, that's a, that was a problem. And I think the, um, the use of... Um, pronouns um, now is a really great thing because of um, it's starting to destigmatize also the, the trans community, even among the, the queer LGBTQ community, and recognize that um, 
you know, there's, uh, that is still a, um, a gender norm that we are a traditional gender norm that we're abiding by if we only focus on he or she, um, because sometimes you might be in between maybe transitioning you may have different circumstances or um, different comfort levels and so I think that's where um, the use of these terms that are that are coming up it's a recognition that again even in you know a minority community like the LGBTQ uh, community um, we can often ostracize each other among ourselves and that's not okay ensuring that we're just opening the door to asking people what would what would you how do you identify and how would you like me to um, refer to you is really important um, and in the health field um, you know my, my spouse works in the health field and um, and uh, it, at his work they often include um, what their pronouns are and how they refer to themselves um, whether they're um, straight, gay, trans, whatever, everyone um, uses those uh, pronouns in their email signature block so to try to um, educate on the one hand, but also to, to make it acceptable for everyone. So I think those little initiatives are important um, uh, as, as we continue to, to recognize that um, uh, we're not binary uh, in humanity. Quinn, who identifies as non-binary and uses they-them pronouns, also had thoughts on this subject. Yes, if you have not already, drop your pronouns in your email signature. It's not going to work for everybody, you know, like there's, depending on your contacts, maybe don't, um, but maybe do. Um, and here's, so here's my rationale for that, is... I, I don't really foresee a world in the next couple of years where you meet somebody and you're like, hey, what's your name? And then you're like, oh, hey, by the way, what are your pronouns? So one thing that I do um, is that when I, when I meet somebody, especially in queer communities, if I'm going to get their number and put it in my phone, if I don't already know their pronouns, then I'm like, hey, by the way, what's like, I want to put your pronouns in my phone. What's your pronouns? Um, super easy, super low impact. And that means, you know, getting someone's contact info tends to be the moment where like an enduring relationship crystallizes. So it's a really good moment to get that worked out and it's super low impact. Pronouns in your email signature is, is really similar. You know, it's just so easy. And also it's a really valuable signaling thing where if I see pronouns in somebody's email signature, then I know that if they can't use my pronouns, they're going to be open to a conversation about it. But I also know they're way more likely to just see it, do it. You know, we don't even have to talk about it. Tracy, who identifies as a black woman and uses she, her pronouns, looks to young people as an example of how we all should be engaging around gender. So I think they're already doing it. I think that my generation needs to catch up. It's probably the, the answer. So that when the, I don't want to call them kids because they're not kids, younger young adults, yeah, yes, young adults, yeah. when they are um, identifying, you know, their gender roles and kind of there's more fluidity in it, that we catch on, you know, that we, we take the time and it's just say, oh, you know, as opposed to treating it as a fad or treating it as just something for young people, that we all learn how to get along 
and respect one another because it really comes down to how how do I make sure that we the small stuff is taken care of so we can move on to bigger things. So if you however you want to identify, however you want to be respected, however your role is in society that you want to achieve, let's allow that and then we can move on to solving bigger global problems and not get caught down in what truly is doesn't matter. Like you're a human being and we should be happy to honor you as such. Barbara, who identifies as a female service member transitioning to civilian life and uses she, her pronouns, wants to see people engage and have conversations with folks outside of their bubbles. I think it's to have conversations. I think it's to reach out to people that are different than you and have and understand where they're coming from. You know, without getting into politics, I feel that we've come to some sort of a, of a, a precipice in our country where we can either go over the cliff and be divisive and be separated, or we can start to come together. And so to talk to people and to learn from them what it is like for them, where they're coming from, the personal stories that people tell, the understanding that, that we did not have the same upbringing how do you see the world? How do I see the world? I feel like there's common ground, but we're not seeking it. We're not looking for the common ground because we're looking for our opinion to be reinforced. So find that person, you know, engage in groups where you're able to, it's a diverse group where you're able to reach out and talk to people who are different than you because we tend to glom on to folks who are like us, right? And when this is natural, I think as humans, we want our tribe, we want our, our group of folks. And so I'm comfortable in this group and we all agree but when you step out of that comfort zone and you go talk to people who are different, even just listening to podcasts or, or, or television shows or different things that, that show a different perspective, I think that's valuable to start to bridge that, that divide. So that's my, the thing is we need to be more, we need to have more conversations and quit looking at your phone and quit liking the things on Facebook that are the, the same, everything you agree with or putting out your political agenda. Because what happens is now you've created this barrier. When you say, this is what I agree with and this is, other people won't engage you because they're like, well, we know what she stands on that. Um, but when you open up and, you, and you're more open to the conversation or when you're more open to sitting down over tea or coffee and saying, let's have a conversation about why you feel this way. Again, it goes back to the diversity and inclusion, much stronger. I mean, I think the country will be much stronger the more we try to bridge those divides and, and come together um, as a country and understanding. Because we're all, you know, we're all human. If you cut us, don't we all bleed, right? It's that, that mentality. So I think that, uh, and pa personally, I'm passionate about women. And I think that we have to somewhat lead the change to some degree, Right. I told my husband, when well, we let men muck it up for you know a long time, so maybe we can start to go in a different direction. I asked Barbara if she could say a few more words about how people can best get outside of their bubbles, given that this is such a challenging thing for so many. first thing you have to do is get off the couch and <laughs> leave your house, which sometimes can be difficult if you're, it's, it's easy to, oh, I've worked a long week and I'm tired. And, 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 and I find myself doing this sometimes too, if not wanting to leave and go out, but that's, you have to, first thing you have to do is step outside your house. So I think you have to seek those things out. You have to be sort of purposeful about it. 
And so it's just so fascinating to have those conversations and understand that the people are largely after the same things. Everyone's largely after they want to be, you know, successful. They want to take care of their families. We're all sort of similar in that. We want we want to enjoy people. So I I think that what makes us the same is much more than than what divides us. But I think it's easy to look at someone and see that they're different and make a judgment that well they're not like me or they're not like you or we must band together against them. I think that's unfortunate because it makes our lives much more bland and not as rich as they could possibly be. Engaging in advocacy was another running theme throughout the conversations. Mary Catherine, who identifies as a member of the Cherokee Nation, a lawyer and a playwright, and uses she, her pronouns, talked about simple ways to advocate for the passage of the Violence Against Women Act and how this also will protect Native American women. Call your congressmen and women and your senators, especially right now. We're trying to get VAWA passed through the Senate. Um, The Violence Against Women Act, the bill that came from the House, H.R. 1585, restores pieces of the tribal criminal jurisdiction that the Supreme Court took away in Oliphant. So call your senator and tell them you, you know, you hope that they vote for that because you believe tribal nations should be able to protect their women from violent perpetrators on tribal lands, right? But, you know, that might sound like, well, that's so easy. Yeah, but hardly anyone's doing it, you know, and here we are facing the highest rates of violence in the country and no one's making a phone call to advocate. There are also a lot of easy ways that I think do make a difference. Uh, because we're a small percentage of the population, we're, we're usually overlooked. You know, people think, well, no one, no one cares about such a small percentage. So if we get a lot of folks on social media, we have a um, sort of a Twitter storm the first Tuesday of every month, and you can join us at hashtag VAWA2019 and tweet and just say, I believe tribal nations should be able to protect their women, restore tribal jurisdiction. Those kinds of things are small things that everyone can do. And there's no reason to not do them. I mean, even if you're a busy person and you're, you know, you've got a family to raise and feed and, and a job, and I understand that's all of our lives, um, you can take 20 minutes once a month to tweet. And, and it does make a difference because if, if everyone were to actually do that, right, then we would have a lot more political power in affecting this change. And, and that change will actually save lives. Liz, who identifies as a female Asian American in a Chinese American hapa and uses she, her pronouns, talked about advocacy and parental leave. Yes, I would like to see everybody advocating for parental leave, not just maternity, but also but parental. So dads also need time away too when babies are born. The U.S. is one of five countries that does not have at least mandated maternity leave. The others are Papua New Guinea, Lesotho, Swaziland, in Liberia. I may be missing one, but you get the idea. The U.S. is really, really behind in this regard, and all of society suffers. I think we just don't value women and children enough in our society for whatever reason but when a woman leaves the workforce because childcare is way too expensive which is a whole nother issue and then comes back it's not just 
that woman who then doesn't make as much money and who was already making less because she's a woman to begin with, but her whole family suffers financially. It's a huge loss. And children suffer because women don't breastfeed as long. I mean, the World Health Organization recommends up to two years, whereas we in the U.S. on average go as far as six months, if that. And the baby's health and even IQ uh, are compromised, according to science. So, um, yeah, I think everyone should advocate for that. It's just absolutely ridiculous that we don't have it. Kim, who identifies as me, myself, and I, and uses she, her pronouns, wants us to make change with our vote. I would mostly like people to stop electing old white men that can choose what goes on with my body or anyone else's body. Because it's, it's really nobody else's business what goes on. And we keep going through this same cycle over and over again. And until we, the people, start putting people in office that actually think the way that we do. And yes, they're going to be different colors and they're going to be different genders. And they're going to be different ages. And that is a good thing. Change is good. We need to embrace the change and throw out the word normal. We don't have a normal. The normal is not normal. And we need to embrace that. I would really like people to just be okay with whatever is right next to you and stop being so judgmental and think that you know what's right and what's wrong. Because there is no right and there is no wrong. It's everyone else's choice to make their choices for themselves and for their family. We need to stop thinking that we know what's best for everyone else. Mercedes, who identifies as a Latina woman and uses she, her pronouns, would like people to talk about gender roles with their family and friends and how these things impact our daily lives. You know, if, if there's anything I can say, is just talk about it. You know, what does it mean to you? What, um, what does it mean for your family, for your, um, how is your, your home um, talking about gender? How is it that um, your colleagues are talking about it? How is it that uh, you, you're thinking about it when you go to the store? You know, one thing that still really uh, gets me, uh, having had two, two children in the last five years, is, is how gendered all the baby things are. Babies know nothing about gender. Um, and wearing a blue onesie versus a pink onesie is not, you know, it doesn't, it, it helps us feel better about maybe where um, we see gender uh, gender roles um, and how they should be. But, but I think that you know, if we can have that conversation, why can't why can't a little baby boy wear pink? Why um, can't we 
have trucks on a little girl's t-shirt um, before they even understand gender. Why, why is it something that we focus on so much, uh, sp- particularly at such a young age? We want to know the gender of our child because we feel like that is the defining factor of who they are. But then they come out and they have all these wonderful personalities and likes and dislikes and um, and there's so much more to that than than their gender and and even then they don't you know they have a sex at that age but a lot of times that when they're born you know their their gender identity um, for them hasn't been defined and so um, I would just say let's talk about it more let's talk about why we do that to to kids at such a young age why we put these messages and why boys can't play with my little pony um, or Barbies or dolls or whatever it may be um, I think let's talk about that why you know why can't we do that why can't we do more of, of um, gender neutral um, images and and toys and and uh, clothing and you know especially when they're so small Chloe who identifies as an openly transgender woman and uses she her pronouns wants to see people get outside of their comfort zones, get outraged, and demand accountability from men. Hard question because I'm angry about it, and I don't quite know what to do about that anger. My anger comes from never having been a girl and seeing how much women put up with the crap that comes our way. And, you know, it's all about choosing battles, and it's a survival skill. Women have to do that because there's just an avalanche of sexist material, sexist attitudes, discrimination, you know, objectification, you name it. It's a very long list. It's an avalanche or tidal wave, if you will, that just doesn't stop. And I just get myself exhausted sometimes. I'm so outraged and angry at what is thrown at women that I often often want to just sort of shake the women and say, you know, scream, do something, don't just accept this. But I know that they have to. They can't sort of continue to fight every single battle. This is not something that any one person can do. So that's the space I'm in, and it's, it's just again and again and again on a daily basis looking with essentially fresh eyes as a woman at the way the world treats women and even thinks about women, if there's anything I would like people to do is to get back a little bit into that really uncomfortable space and be a little more outraged and demand accountability from men. You know, if you love us, if you love humanity, if you if you even have any real commitment to human dignity, God damn it, get in there and do something about it. Be in those spaces. Stop just sort of turning your back on gender-based violence saying it's a women's issue. It's absolutely not. You know, men can speak to men in ways that women don't get listened to. Men can hold men accountable, and they're not doing it. They're not doing it nearly enough. And it's not just because it's their wives and daughters and sisters and mothers that are being the victims of violence. It's, we're not instrumental in this. It's just we're dignified human beings. You have, speaking to men, an obligation to make dignity universal, to not just say that's a women's issue. It will be hard. 
it will be incredibly hard. Men will push back against men. You know, this is not what we do. It's men to men. It's what we have to do if we're going to change this paradigm. I, I get the feeling that we've kind of, I mean, there's always more to do, but it's sort of, it's kind of like we've done way more than we ought to have done to make the claim that we're dignified human beings, that we're deserving of being treated with love and respect. We don't have to be saying this over and over and over again to men or to women who elect men to who are known to be sexist and misogynist and others who put up with these men. We have to change that paradigm. We have to get to a place where we're holding everybody accountable to each other, to respect each other, care about each other, be compassionate to each other, to collaborate with each other. All of the things I've just said are very feminine things. And I think that gets to the, the underlying theme that feminine is not a bad word. Mm-hmm. And feminine modes of organization, of politics, of, of being in the world are not some subject, subservient way of being. It's not like, you know, it's really about power and money, dear. You know, we'll talk about that other stuff on the side. I guess I'd almost like to stop talking about gender as gender and actually having a conversation about dignity. It's Mm. not even there right now. It's become sort of this, you know, rhetorical flourish that nobody really talks about anymore. I think gender would just be naturally, you know, part of the package if we were to actually talk about does dignity matter? If it matters to us, as most people will say it does, then why do we do what we do? Why do we treat some people as being of lesser dignity or no dignity whatsoever? Why do we consider people as being instrumental to what we're about? Why do we use people? Why do we manipulate situations in our favor? We know those answers. We know that you know the, the paradigm now is self-interest. It's about everybody gets ahead. It's about competition, competition, competition. It's so male. And, you know, I'm, that sounds like, a, you know, an angry feminist. Well, maybe I am. But we've had an entire history, the entire, really, with a, with a few exceptions of a few small tribes here and there, this has been patriarchal history throughout the millennia. And look where it's got us. It's gotten us pretty far in many, many ways. But I think it's just about run its course. I think there's a time for revisiting an entirely different paradigm based at least in, in equal measure on collaboration, not always assuming that it's, you know, it's everything is about self-interest and maximizing self-interest, even opening up the conversation to the possibility of altruism doesn't even come up right now. It's, oh, that's what you do, with, you know, that's the sort of fluffy stuff on the side. If you want to be a do-gooder, then that's fine. No, that's what it means to interact with other human beings. You have a fact that people sacrifice so much to bring you up, and you're the product of so much love and investment by so many people, and yet you translate that all into, you know, I'm going to get ahead and screw everybody else? Well, that's so perverse. That's so fundamentally flawed. We're at a stage where we're being challenged to evolve as a society or die as a society, as a civilization. Global climate change is one very strong symptom of that. If we don't change the way we think about the world and I think inject a very big piece of feminine thinking into those formulas, we're not going to be able to make that transition. 
we have to understand that having a different sensibility around fem- more feminine ways of thinking is an okay thing <laughs> and that it actually might shed some light. I mean, that's radical stuff. And the fact that I even acknowledge that as radical stuff is such a sad comment. Why is it that we have to be claiming the space for women's w- w- sensibilities as you know, something we even have to defend. It's, it's how society's cohered forever. It's just not how decisions have been made. Brian, who identifies as a straight white man and a feminist and uses he, him pronouns, would like to see people identify, call out, and abandon harmful myths and gender norms. Definitely there's not just a thing uh, we all, all of us, as I've been saying throughout this podcast, we all perform a gender. We all interact with this. We all have a role in shaping what opportunities people around us feel like they have based on their gender to the extent that we're interacting with young people to just do anything in our power to provide them as diverse as possible examples of what it can look like to be a man, be a woman, be anything in between or outside of that dynamic, uh, that binary. I think there's hesitance in a lot of places to use the G word, like actually talk about gender. I think the more we can actually name it when we see it in society and make it something that we're all as comfortable and skilled enough to talk about as we are the weather is really meaningful be smart about the difference between what is actually born into a biologically male body or a biologically female body and how that is a completely different topic scientifically completely different topic than all these definitions and expectations that we put on people. And so that means talking about it, calling it out um, in in all sorts of casual conversations. I mean, you can't go a day without seeing this. Where was I? Maybe the airport on the way here. Some bogus psychology magazine with on the cover, like, Inside the female brain, uh, how female brains process whatever. And, you know, men are Mars, women are Venus. There's all these, you know, it's like the banality of evil kind of thing. Um, It feels real fun and friendly. It feels like it's helping you feel validated about your particular reality based on your biological sex identity. But it's propagating these myths about all sorts of characteristics that are actually socialized and not biological. And the evidence shows that the more you buy into that, the more you're just propagating an unequal, patriarchal, misogynist world. And one that's especially bad for the poorest, especially bad for women, especially bad for minorities, but also not doing guys a whole lot of favors, if you're honest. Like I said, it curtails your identity, curtails your relationships, pushes you toward anger as the only emotional expression you have, pushes you toward violence, pushes you toward suicidal ideation. Just see this stuff so that you can abandon it. 
Sandy, who identifies as a Christian, an African, and an American, and uses she, her pronouns, wants us to engage in difficult conversations, especially when they make us uncomfortable. But when we start, stop seeing the other as wrong, as different, as not meriting a voice. So I, I, would, I would say really just the conversation would be really helpful, um, even when it seems uncomfortable, especially when it seems uncomfortable. I, I have a really dear friend. She keeps saying, Amy, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. The time for comfort is over. Mm. We do not have the luxury of being comfortable anymore. That's what I think of when I hear you say that. Like Dr. King said, right? Injustice anywhere is a threat of justice everywhere. So as we come to the end of this episode and the end of this two-part series on actions people can take to make a change around gender, I am struck by the power of language, the need, the ongoing need for advocacy, the importance of claiming or reclaiming respect and human dignity as something we need to talk about and value, pushing ourselves to have difficult conversations and to get outside of our bubbles, and having the courage to call out harmful myths and to talk about things that make us uncomfortable. Thank you for joining us today. And if you didn't get a chance to hear part one, I hope you go back and listen to it and the other compilations. This is the last episode of 2019. It has just been such a joy working on this program. And I'm looking forward to 2020. I'm adding a new feature. If you have comments or questions that you would like addressed on air on the show, please submit them to yourownvoice.org slash contact. And I will look forward to discussing what you send in. So until then, I wish everyone a very, very happy new year, a safe and healthy 2020, and I look forward to seeing you next year. You've been listening to Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. Your Own Voice is produced by me, Amy Breslow, with IT support from Alex Moreno, music by Kevin McLeod. Thank you for joining us today. I look forward to coming back in the new year. And until then, take care and be well.